Amen. <clears throat> Thank you again to Jeff Dronenberg for filling in. And uh, you can be praying for Alex and Eska Dwyer as they will re- be returning from Belgium this week. Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 2. You can also see it printed in your bulletin. And we'll read verses 1 through 17. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is speaking of Jesus. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray for his blessing on it. Our God, as we come to your word, we do ask that you would bless the preaching of it, the hearing of it, and the application of it to our hearts, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the strategies of a business is to provide for a person's need. That's at least one business strategy that a business can have to provide a product or a service that everyone needs. And sometimes things that we need are quite obvious, like food and transportation. But sometimes you have that experience of getting a product or a service and you're like, oh, I didn't actually know I needed that so badly. We uh, have a shower curtain in our home, as many of you have showers and shower curtains. 
And for the longest time, we used these open-ended shower hooks on the curtain. And so whenever you would open and close the curtain, it would constantly fall off of the rod. This happened for like 10 years. And then like a year and a half ago, we, I decided, or Precious, one of, one of the two of us were like, let's get those like closed-looped shower curtain you know, thingies so it doesn't fall off of the curtain rod anymore. And it's like, I didn't know I needed that for the past decade. I didn't realize what state of destitute backwardness I was living in. Okay, that's, that's a pithy example, but the point is that we have needs. We want to realize and know our needs and have our needs met. Uh, and especially if we don't know it, but we want to identify it. And Jesus, and in our passage today, we have people Some who know they have a need, some who don't know they have a need. But Jesus identifies the need and says, I can meet it. I can meet the need. Jesus says, essentially, I can forgive and heal. And that is your need. And that's what I want you to see as we move through the passage today, is that we, the people of God, we need the physician who forgives and heals. We need the physician who who forgives and heals. And what that implies is that we have something wrong, we have some sort of sickness that needs healing. And that bridges us into our first section where we see the sick are seeking healing, in particular this paralytic and his friends who are helping him. Uh, it, we see that Jesus has made it back into town. He returned. Remember when Josh preached last week, Jesus, so many people had heard about his miraculous healing, he was forced out of town Uh, into desolate places and people were coming to him out there he's finally made it back into town he's made it back into town he's at home notice as josh mentioned last week one of the jesus priorities being the word and preaching jesus is still preaching in verse two and he was preaching to them but it's crowded there was no room not even at the door so imagine your entire neighborhood has shown up to your house and it's that crowded probably more crowded than that this is probably the stuff of some of your nightmares your entire neighborhood has shown up to your house there's no elbow room no one can get through and in the midst of this four men carry a paralyzed man to jesus but they can't get to him so they remove the roof and went verse four when they could not get near him Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. Now, remember, we're in the first century. Uh, These homes are not uh, filled with rafters and shingles, and so they're not like taking hammers and breaking apart, you know, a modern roof. Uh, This is a first century flat roof that has tiles made of clay, probably with some straw on top, easy to remove. They're not destroying property uh, to get inside. So a a flat roof with likely stairs that would be able to access the roof. And Jesus, after they do this, takes note of their faith. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Well, what can we learn as Jesus, as we see the example, first looking at the example of what these men do and what Jesus takes notice of in them? They were willing to do whatever it took within law 
to get to Jesus, to overcome. In this case, it was overcoming a crowd, a physical barrier. But when you consider that as the principle of what they're doing, overcoming a barrier to access Jesus because they realize his importance and their need of him, when you understand that that is the principle, then you can take that and apply it to yourself and ask, what are the barriers? What is it? What is, and I'm going to say in particular, what is that sin that is between you and Christ right now? That is what needs to be overcome. That is something that you should desire less than Christ himself. And I'm going to talk more about desire here than about strategy. Um, The desiring of Christ more than those obstacles, more than those weights that you're carrying as you run the Christian race. Well, not only should we ask ourselves, you know, what is the barrier between, you know, us and Christ? There's another principle here in using a creative method to bring someone to Christ. They cared enough about someone else. These four men cared enough about their friend to think of a creative way to bring him to Jesus with tenacity. Think about the people around you today in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in your schoolhouse that need Christ. And think of the ways in which you can bring Christ to them or bring them to Christ. A couple concrete examples. Perhaps one method is inviting them to worship. We had a men's ministry meeting yesterday morning. Maybe a method is inviting them to a men's ministry event. Someone who's a non-Christian who needs to hear or needs to have relationships with Christians so they can hear about Christ. Think about how you bring Christ to them in your interactions. Um, There are several examples uh, in which people can be, we can use creative and even normal ways to bring people to Christ or Christ to people. Think about our local outreach with uh, Rudolph Gordon. You're not normally allowed to just go into a school and just say, hey, y'all need to believe in Jesus. But what we've done is, through an organization, Christian Learning Centers, is accomplished a creative way in during the school day, bringing students here who sign up for a Bible study and bringing them the word here. You can see how these examples will start to waterfall out into all of the enablers that we have in the church. Nursery is being an enabler of worship. Sunday school being a method of discipleship. All those different pieces in bringing Christ to people and people to Christ. There's not really a shortage of avenues. There's really an issue with desire. Uh, And I heard a Mark Bates, who's a pastor, uh, who is a position in Mission to the World of the PCA right now, he was talking about missions in, uh, in an address he was giving, and he, and he compared it to losing weight. You know, we know, what the, we know what we're supposed to do to lose weight. You're supposed to go to the gym, or you're supposed to exercise and eat better. Those, we know that. The issue is not how. The issue is our willpower and our desire to do it. And I think there's a similarity. There's no shortage of avenues and strategies and ideas, creative or simply common, in bringing people to Christ. But it's our desire. 
And I want us simply to have a desire that reflects in some way the desire of these men who know that Christ is so essential, they are going to get their friend to him. Pray, Holy Spirit, give me that desire to have a desire for Christ more than my sin and desire other people to come to him to overcome whatever barrier there might be. Notice, as we move on, notice the need that Jesus addresses first. Verse 5, and when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Do you think that might have surprised the paralytic? Maybe. Perhaps an unexpected diagnosis, maybe an expected diagnosis, but unexpected in some sense, I think, to our ears and our eyes as we read it, this man is paralyzed. Jesus doesn't address the healing and paralysis first at all. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I read a story, an article really, called My Unexpected Diagnosis. And a woman named Heidi Nafman Onda, she worked out nearly every day. She ate clean. She hiked significant trails in Colorado. Her profession was a fitness trainer. She advised physicians on fitness. Her husband was a primary care physician. So this woman is... This woman named Heidi is the, basically the pinnacle of physical health. She goes into the doctor for a pain that she's experiencing on her side. And A leads to B leads to C leads to a CT scan. And she finds that she has stage 3 lung cancer. How is, and talk about an unexpected diagnosis. Someone who doesn't smoke, who has you know, no habits that would lead to this, who leads a completely healthy life. I just have a pain on my side, and you're telling me now that I have lung cancer? There was a more critical diagnosis underlying her than what she thought. And what I want us to see as we look at what Jesus says to the paralytic is that there is an importance of forgiveness over physical healing. It doesn't mean that physical healing is unimportant, or irrelevant, but there is a priority and importance of forgiveness over physical healing. He says that first, because physical healing has a temporary effect. Forgiveness has an eternal effect. Remember, everybody who Jesus healed would die again. But everybody whom Jesus forgives does not die. Well, We do pass away temporarily, but then we are awaiting a resurrection. Notice the difference between the temporary, temporal, physical healing and the eternal effect and priority of forgiveness. And I think the man and his friends know that. Their faith is not just in Jesus to heal, uh, but they, you can, when Jesus says he saw their faith, I think you can fairly import and understand that that faith is not just in Jesus the healer, but Jesus the Messiah. Uh, They they were looking forward to a sacrifice that would pay the penalty for their sins. Um, So they have this faith. But as Jesus pronounces forgiveness in response to their faith, he's challenged. And this is where we see Jesus' authority to forgive as he is challenged. 
Verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes rightly identify the authority to forgive as resting with God alone. They rightly identify that. And then Jesus proves himself equal with God, first by showing a divine quality of omniscience. Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Have you ever heard somebody speaking and they've said something that offends you or something that is egregious or offensive and you, and you thought in your mind, how dare you say that? Could you imagine if that person then turned to you and said, what do you mean how dare you? Yeah. It put you back on your heels, right? This is what Jesus does to them why do you question these things within your hearts whoa jesus has a supernatural ability that is equivalent to god alone he knows the heart and what's going on in it and then jesus issues a challenge to them but it's not really to them it's a it's a question and a challenge to them but by extension he's challenging himself what's easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. It's easier, and there's this whole like debate like, well, what does Jesus mean by which is easier? This is what I think, uh, but I'll give you the principle after this. I think it's easier to verbalize your sins are forgiven because there's no way to prove that it happened. It's just, it, it can just be considered words unless you can prove that it happened. It's harder to verbalize, take up your bed and walk, because you're going to be able to see whether it really happens. And so Jesus says, so that you know the unseen thing of forgiveness of sins is happening or has happened, rise, take up your bed and walk. Both rise, take up your bed and walk, and your sins are forgiven are equally impossible. They're equally impossible, and only God can do and declare them. So that's the, the principle, at, the main principle at work here. And he proceeds to heal the man. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, the harder thing, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Well, I, what I want you to see here is that Jesus has power and authority that is equal to God to forgive sinners. And it's only in him. The other thing I want us to see is what happens to everybody around after this takes place. That God's forgiveness and healing results in people glorifying him. Verse 12, And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. They see a man who is raised from a deathbed, you could say, 
to get up and walk around and out, and they are amazed and floored. Take a moment and look around the room. Just like look left and right at some other people. This will give you a chance to stretch your neck, wake up. It will give you a chance to wake somebody else up. Okay? You've just looked around the room at a bunch of people who were dead, who are now alive. Now, that might be a little bit hard for us to grasp because it would be, it would be like easier if someone were physically dead and then we saw them in the room. But I want the weight of the spiritual reality to set in somewhat. This room is filled with a bunch of people who were spiritually dead, who have been raised to life. And that is amazing. You are sitting in the midst of a bunch of spiritually resurrected people. Or you can be if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? And I just want that understanding, that realization, to do something like what these people did here in our passage, to increase the magnification of the glory of God, that he has done this, and I'm sitting in the midst of this. Isn't he amazing? We've never seen anything like this. That's awesome. Jesus not only has his authority challenged, and he responds to that challenge, he also has the nature of his associations challenged as, we, as he goes out from the house. Verse 13, he calls Levi, who is a tax collector. He went out again by the sea, verse 13, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And we know that this Levi is Matthew, Matthew the gospel writer. Matthew the gospel writer was a tax collector. Levi is his Hebrew name. Matthew is arguably a bit more of a Greek name. Uh, Whenever you are involved in uh, nefarious business of extortion, you might use another name. And so (laughs) he has the name of Matthew as a tax collector, you could say. And Levi being his Hebrew given name. Jesus calls him to himself and he eats with him and others. Verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And here is where the scribes challenge his association with them in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, says to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, when he heard it, He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus responds and says, these are the people that I came for. I came for sinners. You, you scribes, you perceive yourself as righteous. Jesus is not actually calling them truly righteous. They are righteous in their self-perception. You perceive yourself as righteous. Well, I didn't come for you. I came to the one who recognizes their need, who knows that they need forgiveness. Someone who knows that they're sick, 
not a healthy, righteous person like you. And what I want us to see here is that Jesus forgives the whole gamut of sinners. Whether it's the sins that the paralytic man had. I mean, if you think about it, the quality of the sins that the paralytic man had had to have been at least for the portion of his life that he was paralyzed. Maybe it was his whole life. Uh, Those sins are within his heart, within his mind, maybe his speech. Matthew and the sinners around him have sin that is in their mind and hearts and speech and then it works itself out in their hands in extortion. A broad gamut of sin. And Jesus forgives them and he associates with them. Can Jesus forgive me for what I've done? You may ask yourself that question. And the answer is yes. And here's another question you, Christian, might ask as well. But can Jesus forgive me again? Because I've done it again and again and again and again. And the answer is yes. This is what makes God different than us. He forgives us like we don't forgive And then he calls us to forgive like him. Remember what Jesus says, you know, when the disciples ask him, how many times should we forgive my, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? Jesus says no. Seventy times seven. You know, he's meaning as many times as the person comes back for forgiveness. Because this is how God forgives. As many times as the sinner comes back with a truly repentant heart and says, forgive me, Lord, I've done it again, and I don't want to do it again. Change my heart. If there is sincerity in that repentance, and there's a desire to overcome sin, you are forgiven. That confession, that repentance, Jesus, God, recognizes that. The other thing I want us to realize is that you have to recognize your need. There is something we could say about, I'll back up for a second, <clears throat> the association with sinners. I don't want to completely miss uh, the, the fact that Jesus associates with sinners and we also should, I'm going to say, get outside of our holy huddle in some sense and be willing to associate with non-Christians who aren't like us. I think this is also part of the desire to bring someone to Christ that we have reflected earlier in the passage. That is here. That is here. Uh, But I want us to key in, not just on Jesus' association, by extension our association, but the need that Jesus identifies. This is what he points out. Uh, Jesus' main application here wasn't, you know, the nature of his association and like this being what you should do. That is an application, but the main application is recognizing sickness, recognizing need, the one who is sick. And so I want you to recognize your need, not just your initial need, but your continual need of forgiveness of sins. You might be a person who's thinking, I have these, I have these emotional, relational, physical uh, brokenness issues. That is not your deepest need. Those are needs. Those are needs. 
but come to Christ first for forgiveness of your sins, and then those other things can be lifted up to him and addressed by him. Recognize your need first. And you might be a Christian who's focused on those things. Remember, those other things are important, but be reconciled to your maker first and then carry to him those other things. Because you, you have access to a physician. You have access to a healer. You have access to a forgiver who can do something that no other person can do that no other physician can do. He can take your sin sickness to himself. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you don't have to imagine very hard. Maybe this has happened to you. You've gone into the doctor, and the doctor tells you, and he comes in, I'm sorry, we're just going to use the the word cancer, I'm sorry, You've got stage four cancer. There's no cure for it. It will result in death. Doctor has come to you with that diagnosis. But I have good news for you. I will take it from you to myself. Wouldn't that be so bizarre if a physician were able or said that to you? You've got this terrible condition that results in your death, but I will take it from you to myself, and I will die instead of you. This is the physician. This is the healer that we have access to. This is what we have in Jesus. We need this physician because he can forgive us by taking his sin to himself. He doesn't just simply, God, Jesus, doesn't just simply wave a magic wand and your sins are forgiven. The magic wand is not a wand at all. It's a cross. And on the cross, Christ dies by taking or in dying. He pays for our penalty because he's taken our sin to himself. It's a righteous life that provides the righteousness that we lack. His 33 years of life on the earth is all of the righteousness that we have by faith in him. This is our God. This is the servant king who would give himself for his subjects. The servant physician, if you will. The doctor who gives himself so his patients live. All majesty, honor, praise, glory be to his name. Amen? Let's pray. Our God, we do thank you that we have a physician and a healer and a forgiver in Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing him. Thank you for providing him as a sacrifice for sins, as an example in association with sinners. We ask, Lord, that you would cultivate in us a great desire for him, and in our desire for him that that would spill out and over into a desire to see others come to know you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.